You're listening to the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast. I'm your host, L.M. Fisher, musician, producer, and creator. This episode features Bevan Luna, one of the first musicians who participated in Sonic Guild Colorado's support program. I spoke with Bevan in her amazing Secret Garden-esque music studio, surrounded by instruments, art, and the presence of Madison and Angelus. We explored how to find balance between promotion and creation, how to build community as an artist, the importance of tuning, and so much more. This is the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast with Bevan Luna. You are tuning in to the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. I am here today with Bevan Luna. Hi. Hello. How are you? How was your weekend? What have you been up to? I'm doing well. It's been a really chill weekend. And then, like I said earlier, I went to the Plasma Canvas release show last night, which was awesome with, um, I think it was Animal Futures. And then Caustic Soda blew my mind. Um, and then also Plasma Canvas and... I can't remember the third, the other band that opened. I'll have to look that up. But it was a great show at the Aggie, for sure. So fun. Do you get a chance to go out and see a lot of live music here? I haven't been recently. I've been super busy. So um, it was kind of a treat to get out and see some music last night. Let's start off with your musical journey. How did you get into making music? And what's led you here to this moment? Um, So my family plays music. So I feel like it's kind of a generational thing. My dad and all his sisters all played music with my grandparents. They're from the Dominican Republic, so they toured through the Caribbean and South America, Central America in the 60s. So they have vinyl from back then, and it's really cool to have grown up in a family like that. So everyone plays, and it's just always been a part of my life. Yeah, and that's sort of where I started playing. My dad taught me how to play the guitar and just singing. They're very religious, so singing in church and and then just singing at family gatherings and things like that. What's some of your favorite vinyl from your family's collection? I bet you have some crazy gems in there. Yeah, you know, my dad has the vinyl from their family records back in the day, but there's this guy on YouTube that keeps posting old recordings of them. So every once in a while, I'll get a notification from him that something new pops up. So I like to go to his page and, you know, find things from the 60s. And it's just, it brings, you know, chill bumps or chills to my skin listening to that old music that hasn't been listened to in so long. Yeah. And my grandmother has passed away. So it's really special to hear her voice again when you haven't heard it in so long, you know? Yeah. What an incredible thing to have. That's yeah. the power of music. It's yeah. really lucky to be able to go back in time like that. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Tell us about your first music that you made and your progress into your latest album. Let's see. I started writing songs I would say in my like early 20s and then I just sort of played out live for a while but I didn't actually start recording until 2015 and then I put out an album called um, Attack of the Killer Redheads so on my mom's side they're all from Tennessee my mom is a redhead and all four of her sisters redheads so five fierce redheaded women growing up with them and they loved music being from the south and being from the memphis area and like music is huge in that area you know so i just kind of you know it was a tribute to them and their influence on me loving music so much in addition to my dad's side of the family you know 
So started recording in 2015 and then have slowly put out a number of recordings since then. So Baby Dragon came out in 2018. And then last year I put out um, Madison and Angelus. So yeah, and then some singles here and there and then an, an EP called Bacanon as well. So that was more of a stripped down pandemic version of a, of a recording that was done remotely and sort of more of a solo, not rocket, you know, kind of rocking sounding album, which is typical for the other recordings. What was the process like recording remotely? That sounds really interesting. Yeah. You know, the first thing I did when everything started shutting down during the pandemic is I went and bought an interface and I bought a laptop so I could record on my own and not have to go into the studios and rely on other people. And I had, you know, a steep learning curve because I had to learn a lot, but it was actually a perfect time to learn how to record on my own and record demos and just sort of, you know, figure out how to fly tracks into other people and and sort of assemble songs remotely. So it, it was a lot of being at home, recording, and then getting on Zoom calls and talking through the process with whoever I was working with. I worked with Shane Zweigert, who works over at the Music District, and um, he plays with Wire Faces. And then I worked with Jesse Bates, who was in Quiet Life, and he did pedal steel for that recording. And so we also had Bridget McAuliffe. So all of us sort of did our recordings in our homes, and then kind of patch them together remotely, which was super cool. How did you go through the mixing process? Was that just talking and they send you something to check out and you adjust from there? Yeah, yeah. So we worked with Andrew Berlin and Shane Zweigert, like I said, through um, the blasting room. And basically Shane mixed all of it. And then we had um, Jason Livermore master it over the blasting room. Andrew Boleyn actually mixed uh, Madison Angelus. So Buchanan was all Shane Zweigert doing the mixing. So he would basically send me different mixes and, you know, we would listen to those and then talk through little changes and adjustments here and there and then came out with the final sort of mixes. Yeah. Sick. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. And how do you meet the people you collaborate with? So... Fort Collins is a great town because there's so much music and it's a small community, but everyone is sort of involved with multiple projects and people are open to playing with other people's bands or, you know, I can reach out to Shane and say, hey, will you be the producer for this next project I'm working on? Or, hey, Shane, can I come and record in your garage? Because I know you have this cool like reel to reel tape, you know, Tascom 388, like, you know, People have all this cool equipment and everyone's really open to working together. So I basically, you know, I just reach out to people that I really love their music and, you know, I've seen them out at shows or we've been a part of like workshops together through like the music district or I've done podcasts with them and we just, you know, sort of talk about different things we want to work on and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, let's do that, you know? And so I feel fortunate because Fort Collins has so many talented musicians here and we just like to get together and, you know, crank out different projects and play with different configurations. And I think for me, I'm always, you know, our band setup, it's always changing. You know, sometimes I have like a trio, sometimes there's four of us, sometimes there's five of us, and it just depends on who's available, who's not scheduled for another show. You know, I've worked with people like D. Tyler, Justin Mall, Lance Ruby, Eric Stramanis, AJ Knight, Joe Shickey, even my brother Gabe Luna plays with us sometimes. So we just kind of, you know, go all over the place. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Yeah. What brought you here to Colorado and to Fort Collins growing up in the South? Well, the South, I have such a love-hate relationship with the South. I love it so much. It's so soulful. So much amazing music has come out of there. But it's also a really harsh place. Like, I mean, I'm sure you see the bills going through right now about banning, you know, drag shows. And there's a lot of anti-LGBT sort of behavior down there that I really don't appreciate. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of violence down there. And as much as I love it, I needed for my mental health to get out of there. The West is a really nice place. It's a lot cooler in temperature. <laughs> it's drier. It's not humid. I love the the big sky. Like there's something about being able to see for 40 miles that makes you feel like there's so many more opportunities in life, you know? Down there, it's just like trees, 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 <laughs> and humidity and just like <laughs> oppressive heat, you know? Um, so I wanted to get a different view and a different perspective and get to a different neighborhood. So that that's what brought me to Colorado's nature and a different lifestyle. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I love the idea of the big sky. I yeah. mean, that's so true. Like being able to see there's something about it that you don't realize how boxed in you feel. And like even places out east or in, I've been in New Hampshire and yeah. it, there's a mystery about it, which is kind of cool, but it's also like, where do I go? Like you can see the stories of people getting like lost in the woods. Yeah. You're like how, how here you're like, how does that happen? You can just like look around and go yeah. towards space. Yep. You can just see so much further and it just feels like, I don't know, it just makes life feel larger. I don't know mm. how to describe that any better, but yeah. You're very poetic, <laughs> I find. <laughs> um, what? is your songwriting process. How do you use that language and what have you been working on that, that you feel like you're really proud of? Uh, you know, my songwriting process, I would say 80% of the time, it, the music comes first. Mm. I started playing guitar long before I started writing songs. And so I think a lot of times I'll just have like a riff in mind and I'll play through and then I'll add lyrics to it. But, you know, that's 80% of the time. And then the other 20%, there'll be a story specifically that I want to write about that's not particularly just in my life, but, you know, a situation with a person that I've observed in life or just a story I've heard about that I feel like is important writing about. So, you know, sometimes it's the music first and then sometimes it's talking about a specific story and the lyrics sort of come first and then I frame the, the music and the arrangement around that. Yeah. And so let's dive into the story of Madison and Angelus. Okay. Was doing some research before our interview and I was just fascinated by like this idea of like <laughs> like crazy kind of hobo ghosts like hanging out the design of them yeah tell me about tell me everything <laughs> okay yeah so when my brother and I were younger and growing up in Memphis we lived at the intersection of Madison and Angeles and it's a very prominent corner in Midtown in Memphis and it's important because there was a really cool like historic punk rock venue there called the Antana Club if you haven't checked it out check it out it's um, still there? Oh, no. But there's a placard outside of where it used to be. Oh, amazing. I know. Yeah. It, it has been multiple clubs since it was the Antenna Club. And I think it closed like in the mid 90s. But there were some incredible bands that came through there. A lot of the Memphis scene, like 
Jay Retard, the Grifters, um, like Greg Cartwright, the Oblivions, like all those bands kind of came from that scene. And those are some of my most favorite bands. Alicia Trout from the Lost Sounds. She is one of the most badass musicians ever. Mega fan. So Antenna Club was, you could see it from Madison and Angeles, right? And then also 3-6 Mafia's uh, recording studio was right there. You could see it from the corner of Madison and Angeles. And then there was also a, a music shop there. God, what was it called? I can't believe I can't remember the name of it right now. I'm on the spot. I'll think of it later. But there was a guitar shop there that our dad always used to take us to. So it was just this corner in Memphis that was so influential in my musical background, right? I mean, yeah, it's like you're destined to play music growing up in a place like that. Yeah, totally. And I went to a performing arts high school in Memphis too. So um, it was all sort of, all of that was swirling around. And then it was in literally across the street from the Piggly Wiggly. So I know everybody chuckles at the name of that grocery store, but that was literally our front yard was a 24-hour Piggly Wiggly parking lot. And there was an old 1800 cemetery that they had built the Piggly Wiggly around. So in front of our house, we could see the old cemetery and it was the Bettis family cemetery and so we would go over there in like two in the morning as young kids being wild and just like drink 40s smoke jays whatever being bad hanging out in this tiny cemetery that the Piggly Wiggly had grown up around but they kept it because they you know it was a historical site and so Madison and Angelus were sort of these ghouls in my mind that would come out of that cemetery and kind of roam the streets of Midtown and just sort of harass everyone, you know? So it was just sort of a fun story to envision and, and create. And my friend Randy Hand, who's an artist, he he created those sketches. And when I talked to him about it, he was totally into it. He's like, oh yeah, I'd love to design these creatures for your, for your story for Madison and Angelus. Yeah. And how did you come up with the music for the album then? Was it very driven towards those kind of ideas to support it? Or was was it just, I want this concept and then I have these tunes and this is going to be like the face of it? Yeah, so great question. All of those songs are very influenced by that music that was being put out in Midtown in that area. And one of them is a cover of an old Young Jesse song, which the Oblivions covered. Young Jesse was a musician from Louisiana, but then the Oblivions, who played it like the Antenna Club. They covered that. And then it was also just sort of a, a mesh of my influence from Midtown into Colorado because the song Bob was very much sort of a, a blend of my influences from there and then also a lot of the music I've learned about here in Colorado and that was an original tune but then also covering Matson Jones and Old Band from Fort Collins I don't know if you remember them but a little bit of Arson Never Hurt Anyone is also a cover that's on there that sort of you know recalled that Memphis scene for me but they did it all with cellos which was incredible so it was fun to cover that song as well. So the music definitely was influenced by that time period in my life there at Madison and Angeles. Yeah, I love the album. Color nice. and Sweat is so cool. I mean, it's like driving music. It's nice. very like cinemagraphic. Good. I don't know. It just is really incredible. And Great. I would love to see it yeah I was just I was driving up here listening to the album and I was like man this is like a movie like I want to rob a bank or something I don't know <laughs> oh yeah that's what I'm talking I about. won't I won't but <laughs> so what's your mindset when you're setting up a cover of a song how do you make it your own well I don't want to do it you know exactly like the original artist but I also want an element of their 
influence to come through because I see covers as, you know, a tribute to the musicians that I really love, you know, and I know there's a lot of people that poo-poo covers and they're like, play only original music. But I'm from a place in the South where everybody plays each other's music, you know, like people are always doing their own renditions of other people's songs. And it's more of a respect thing as opposed to, you know, ripping off another artist. And so I try to think of it as a tribute, but also add my own influence, you know, because I think that's important is the music evolves as you take it and play it yourself and, you know, pay tribute to the artists who originally created that, you know, and the greatest honor in my life, honestly, in music is a local band and some good friends of mine covered one of my songs and I was literally like brought to tears. They recorded it and I was like, that is way better than my song ever could have been. Like they killed it and it's so awesome to hear it. And they played it live one time when I was there and I didn't know what was happening and I literally lost my mind. It was awesome. So you made it. That's such a cool experience. Yeah, like, that's, it, was, it was awesome. That's my, that's my song. <laughs> oh my God. I was, like, you, I was screaming like a wild person. <laughs> I was like, you did not. No, you did it. Um, but yeah, AM Pleasure Assassins. Check it out get it right. Yeah. That was like the greatest honor ever. So when you're performing your music live, what's your approach? How do you get ready for shows? Do you have any rituals or things that you have to do? I know musicians are just like baseball players. We're very superstitious. Um, well, I always make a playlist in like SoundCloud or something and send it to whoever is playing that show so we can all, you know, rehearse on our own and come to rehearsal and just be ready to go. So we're not like relearning the same songs over and over. So it's nice to work with people who are professional and they do the work before they show up for rehearsal. And then when we get together, it's just like, let's run through these songs and then we can tweak little bits here and there, but we're not just like spinning our wheels, which is really nice. We also spend some time just like talking through the order of the songs and sort of the vibe and like what, what sort of story do we want to tell? and just thinking about the flow of the songs and transitions. And so that's a really fun part of it because I love making playlists and like I used to love making mixtapes and mix CDs. And so I think of the set lists in a very same way, like, you know, what story or what what journey do we want to take people on? You know, do we want to go really hard, really fast, and then drop it into something really chill and then bring it back up or, you know, just sort of thinking through that process. But yeah, we'll rehearse and then... I always obsess over making sure I don't forget picks or capos or cables or, you know, pedals or power cables or, you know, I'm obsessive that way. Just like a baseball player, I like triple check to make sure I have all that stuff. So that's kind of my obsessive part of it. And then making sure everybody has the set list, printing that out. I'm like the mom. I'm like, does everybody have their set list? I'll print you one if you need it. Your set list, you have your snacks, you have to go to the bathroom. Snacks are important. You see the box of snacks over there. I'm always like, y'all, please eat some snacks. Don't get hangry. (laughs) We got to get through these songs. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about navigating self-promotion as an independent artist. What works for you? Where do you find the balance of promotion and creation? So... That's a great question, and that is a huge challenge. I'm learning how to take time away from just playing shows all the time to create. I feel 
pressure to constantly schedule shows just because I might miss a cool opportunity. You know, if someone asks me, hey, this is going to be a great festival. You know, we got this killer headliner. We want you to play like right before them or we want you to be the headliner or whatever it might be. I have a hard time saying no, but I'm learning that I have to say no so that I can create more instead of just grinding and playing the same music over and over. So it's a balance for sure. I'm learning how to invest in marketing and promotion. I feel like I'm finding avenues where I get in front of a lot more people by just investing in something with my music business as opposed to just grinding and trying to play shows all the time, which might not be attended by as many people as just a quick sort of you know, um, campaign you can do through marketing and promotion. I'm not solely leaning on that, but it has helped to get my music in front of a lot more people. And I'm seeing results from that and like more streams and more purchases of music and more like purchases of merchandise and, you know, more views on my pages that are, you know, the pages are supposedly getting smarter. I don't know how that show works, but they're supposedly the number game the is algorithm working. Is, the algorithm is <laughs> clicking over. Yeah. The algorithm is making things smarter. Um, but it's a balance and I'm trying to, right now I'm in a stage of writing, recording, doing demos. I'm not really scheduling shows right now. Last year was bonkers. It was so busy. We played so many shows. And so it's, it's time to kind of reel it in reassess, write some new stuff. So it's it's a balance for sure, approaching self-promotion and also being productive and not having the constant funding from like a record label or uh, a schedule that would be associated with a tour or anything like that. So yeah, it's a balancing act. The tightrope. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and what has been your biggest triumph so far and your biggest struggle so far in your career? I'll start with the struggle and then we can talk about the good stuff. <laughs> bad news first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Always want to hear the bad news first. I think just like we were just talking about is the balance of time, like finding time to feel creative and feel inspired and, you know, excited to share new music in that place of, you know, playing the same songs all the time. That gets that gets exhausting. But then you find yourself in this vicious cycle of like, well, I got to keep playing because I got to get my name out there and I got to keep these opportunities coming, but then losing sort of confidence in what you're doing because you're not creating anything new and then beating yourself up about that. So mm. I think that's my struggle because for me, music is just always going to be, I'm always going to play music. It's not something that I'm not going to do, but the challenge is figuring out like how much I have to do that in public live performance, doing that with other people and, you know, just feeling like you need other people's sort of like perspective on your music. Mm. That's a weird place, you know, because yeah. I love the energy that comes from sharing music with people and it resonates with them and they come up to you and they're like, that moved me, you know, like that's a huge buzz and that's a huge high and it feels really good to share that with people and create community with people. But at the same time, it can be really exhausting to put yourself out there all the time and feel like you're being judged, you know? Yeah. So that's a challenge for me. So I'm trying to figure that out. I don't know if I ever will, but I know that other artists struggle with that too. But as far as triumphs, I feel like this last year was a great year for music. You know, like 
we made a really super cool music video through the 50, uh, 5314 project with Sam Hanus and uh, Listo Pictures. That's the name of her, her studio. So we had a great time recording a music video. And I've always steered clear of making music videos because I think they come out super cheesy a lot of the time. And I was terrified of making a super cheesy video. And Samantha and her crew, Susanna, and then Kendra, they just killed it. They they showed up ready to go. They had, you know, a good project in mind and a good direction. And we all went out in like 95 degree heat in the summer and built like this whole like, you know, buffet sort of like dining scene in the woods. <laughs> we carried all this like furniture out there and set up this whole scene for this music video. And it was just kind of a culmination of the year of like releasing new music, playing a bunch of fun shows at fun venues, you know, getting to play like in front of some really fun crowds. So this last year, I feel like was a triumph for sure. Amazing. Everybody listening, go watch the music video. Yeah. Buffet in the Woods is a concept <laughs> that I'm obsessed with. It's like a tea party in the woods. Yes. It's like a bunch of social um, elite folks, you know, having a party in the woods and we just crash it as the band, which is pretty fun. <laughs> Yeah. Amazing. How are you juggling not just the the promotion and creation, but you also have a pretty cool career. How do you do that? I mean, so many of us artists are in the same spot where we have like the day job and have to do the business of the music. You have to create. What do you find? Like, do you have a schedule? Do you give me, yeah, I need some wisdom. It's for me. I'm mostly asking (laughs) how... (laughs) You know, I, I've learned over the years to take time to recharge my battery. That's all I'm going to say is like before when I was working in my job, my day job, I'm an industrial hygienist, so I work in health and safety. And I, I love that job. It's a great job. Everybody needs to, you know, think about keeping themselves safe through work. And there are some really hazardous jobs out there. So I really take pride in like improving worker conditions and helping people get home with all their limbs and digits and sort of quality of life in place. It's a pretty rewarding job. So I'll always do that as well as music. But at one point, I kind of burned myself out trying to do both, you know. So I was trying to go out and support all my friends' bands all the time and then do my day job. And I got so tired, you know. And one of the good things about the pandemic was it allowed me to slow down and realize, hey, like, you need to slow down and not go out as much and take time to yourself. It'll allow you to feel better about being creative and you have time to create. And so I've really learned to balance my time better. And, you know, I work hard, but then I also take time in the evenings and the weekends to to be creative and know that that's kind of like a treat at the end of the day. You know, I mean, I do enjoy my job. My job is amazing. Uh, but it is work and it's tiring. And so if I'm too tired to play music, then there's something wrong. So cutting out the stuff that makes me exhausted and being able to say no and not feel like you're disappointing people is hard because I want to be there for everyone's shows all the time. But I've really started trying to limit like, like this weekend, for example, like I had multiple, you know, bands and friends I wanted to see, but, you know, just prioritize and you pick like the one thing you can go do. And then you have time to like recover and still function properly and still be productive throughout the week. So that's kind of my new mode of operation is, you know, prioritizing 
recharging my battery. I'll just keep going back to that. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. Smart. Lock that one away for later. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your experience with Sonic Guild. Yeah. Maybe formerly Black Fret. What's that been like? How did you find them? And how has that support helped out your music? Yeah. So Black Fret, Sonic Guild. I, you know, I learned about that through Danny Grant. I went to a meeting, I think, maybe a couple years ago. And just sort of introducing the concept. And I thought it was a really cool concept. And I really didn't know anything about the other cities. You know, I think it was Austin and Seattle, maybe. So I started digging in and learning more about it. And then got the opportunity to be a part of the the new class, the initial class in Colorado. And I thought that was a huge honor. And they definitely helped with a significant like financial contribution to my music business. And that was honestly one of the things that helped me start rethinking how to promote myself and how to invest in marketing as opposed to just grinding and playing shows all the time. I've, I've seen, you know, lots of great sort of things coming from the Sonic Guild and the shows that you all are putting on and it brings a mixed crowd together and I really appreciate that about it. I've had a lot of people, you know, approach me after those shows about coming and doing different shows or, you know, just sort of looking at exposure through radio or like this podcast, for example, like it's a great way to get out and, you know, find different avenues to work through music as opposed to just trying to play at a brewery or, you know, um, I've had some people ask me to play house shows from being out at Sonic Guild events and, you know, those kinds of things are just more intimate and fun and, and then you just build more relationships through that. So, it's been super beneficial and I'm super grateful for the whole, you know, I guess it's been a little over a year that I've been involved. We played last year in August in Old Town Square and they gave us a big foam check, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, it was super fun. And we just we were all just like very grateful um, to be a part of it. So it's been a it's been a great process and a great sort of initiation to be a part of the incoming class. Sonic Guild. Well, well deserved. And Thanks. I mean, the stuff that you're making after that support, and I, it's just incredible. And I mean, goes on to show that the more community you have, the more support yeah. the local community gives to artists and musicians. Yeah. It's this like beautiful circle that just keeps going. Totally. And it's amazing. Any advice that you have to artists just starting out now that you've really been doing this and, and thriving? in your own career tune tune often <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid to stop everything just tune. tune your instruments no um I would say play with as many people as possible I think that's been the most beneficial for me is meeting new people learning how they play music how they approach music I learn so much from everyone around me and, you know, everyone is always teaching me something like Phil Brosty, who plays pedal steel. I played a show with him at Lost Lake. I think it was a few months ago, but he, he just brings so much to how I think about music. And I mean, everyone I play with, really, you just always learn little tidbits from different people. And I think that's the best way to just grow and expand how you create and how you write and how you learn songs and you know everybody has a different influence on them and it just opens up a whole nother sort of world of influences that you can explore you know by playing with other people so that's my advice is play with as many people as possible beautiful yeah well thank you so much for your time yeah it's been an amazing conversation yeah. what are you doing with the rest of your sunday i'm gonna get ready 
to get on a plane tomorrow. I'm going to Ohio for work. So I have a shuttle picking me up at 6 a.m. And yeah, I'm just going to, you know, probably do some chores. Like I said earlier, recharge my battery, relax, because I'm tired from going out to Plasma Canvas last night. It was a rocking show. It was amazing. Yeah, probably get outside because the sun is shining. Take a nature walk. Watch some birds. Yeah, probably what I'll do. What about you? I'm going to go home and edit this amazing conversation <laughs> <laughs> and recharge. Yeah, now, that's that's always in my mind now. Recharge. Yep. Well, Bevan Luna, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's been so fun. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. Check out the links in our show notes to experience Bevan Luna's music and to become a member of Sonic Guild Colorado. 